Describe the kinds of assistance that you give girls and young women who you've helped out of sex trafficking. What are some of the things that you do? Easy to answer. Whatever it takes to give that girl a chance to restart her life and to live the life that God intended her to live, we will do our best to provide. For instance, we've had girls in East Africa that were 14, 15 years old. They were trapped in this red light district for five or six years. So if you do the math, they're under 10 years old. They have no family, never been to school, can't read or write. Today, those girls are employed by Crisis Aid. Today, those girls are married, and some of them even have children. So whatever it takes for that girl, and same here in our home in St. Louis, our attitude is whatever it's going to take to get her to live the life that God created her to have, we will do our best to have it or help her. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. Our weekly podcast gives you the edge to live a more informed life. We discuss more than just St. Louis as we connect the gateway city to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. We have a very positive person who's our guest this morning, and this is an important day worldwide. It is Awareness Day for trafficking and making sure that people understand that trafficking is occurring not only worldwide in the United States, in Missouri, but also in St. Louis. And we're not just talking about sex trafficking. We're also talking about domestic kind of trafficking. But Pat Bradley, who's the CEO and founder of Crisis Aid International, is on the line. Pat, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's the best day of my life. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Hey, it's good to talk to you again. And would would you explain to folks what Crisis Aid International is and what they do? Sure. We are an organization that the short version is that we rescue men, women, and children from life in those situations, girls from becoming victims of traffickers and actually girls who are victims of traffickers. We've got a number of programs in East Africa, water programs, education, orphanages. We've got two pediatric clinics, large feeding program of about 10,000 people every year. I know I'm forgetting some things. A whole community development phase of our work over there where our goal is to eradicate poverty in this area that's got generations of poverty. Literally, children are dying almost every day because they don't have enough food. So we have a big food program going on there, but we also have got a big community development and helping to create businesses. And at this point in time, we launched that about two years ago. We've created over 100 jobs for people there. And then we also have a work in St. Louis where we do, we help families with groceries. So at the beginning of the pandemic last year, guys, we had we were helping about 400 families a month. Now we're doing anywhere between 3,500 and 4,000 families a week who still need groceries as bad today as they did way back then. And then the other projects we have in St. Louis are we have a home for our victims of sex trafficking. We work very closely with law enforcement on that, and we've had that now for, I think, eight years. And then recently we just went public with our new, we call it CAP program, and it stands for Child Anti-Exploitation Partnership Program, where we actually work inside police department detective units. And over the, and last year alone, just the calendar year of 2020, in conjunction, collaborating with the police, we prevented 304 girls from becoming victims of traffickers or horribly sexually abused. 
And that's some of the things we do. Just a few. <laughs> that's just a couple, huh? That's, that's, <laughs> wow. That's, that's unbelievable. I know you're committed to helping the helpless. And how did Crisis Aid get started? How did you get started doing all this kind of work? I was telling Mark before the show that when uh, I became familiar with your organization, you were going into places where most international aid organizations did not want to. Yeah, well, so what happened was I was on the board of an organization based out of D.C., and we dealt with Christian persecution on a global scale. And so we were getting these horrible reports about what was happening in South Sudan with the civil war. So we just decided to make a field trip and investigate for ourselves. And I went and we spent two weeks on the ground in, in southern Sudan. And guys, the, the things that we had seen and, and the stories that we had heard and, and just the absolute horrors that was going on to these people. What happened was on our last day in the country, we came across a group of men, women, and children. It was about 70 of them. And they were standing underneath this group of grouping of trees, but there were no leaves on the trees because it was about 100 to 125 degrees Fahrenheit because we were in the desert. These were the survivors of the village that had been attacked the night before. And they were hundreds of miles from food, water, or shelter, hundreds. And we had absolutely nothing that we could give to them to help them. And uh, we were there. We worked with the Sudanese church. And I remember as we were leaving, I got in the car to leave. And I remember as we were pulling away, I looked over my right shoulder and looked back at that group of people knowing that they were going to die. And I heard, I I don't know how else to just say this, but I heard the voice of God just speak to me and say, doing nothing is no longer an option. And right there, instantly, I knew exactly what God was saying, that we, I needed to move into meeting the felt needs of people, which at that point in time were, was food, water, and shelter. And so I came back, and that was in February. September, I went back with the first actual relief trip of humanitarian aid, and we took in enough to give 4,000 people two pounds of bag of rice. And that was how we began. And from there... A second trip happened, and then we moved into Afghanistan. And so probably the first seven, eight, seven years of our existence was really mainly focused in what we would consider like extreme high-risk areas. But it wasn't that we were adventurers and there. It was just where the anointing of God led, led us, and, and he opened doors that were unbelievable for us to be able to help people. Now, you mentioned, uh, Pat, that you have homes as I would call them, in East Africa and the United States here in St. Louis. Describe the kinds of assistance that you give uh, girls and young women who you've helped out of sex trafficking. What are some of the things that you do? Oh, easy to answer. Whatever it takes to give that girl a chance to restart her life and to live the life that God intended her to live, we will do our best to provide. And so, for instance, we've had girls in East Africa that were 14, 15 years old. They were trapped in this red light district for five or six years. So if you do the math, they're under 10 years old. They have no family, never been to school, can't read or write. Today, those girls are employed by Crisis Aid. Today, those girls are married, and some of them even have children. So whatever it takes for that girl, and same here in in our home in St. Louis, our attitude is whatever it's going to take to get her to live the life that God created her to have, we would do our best to have it or help her. And, and as part of that, you give them training, you give them a, a skill set so that they can go out and get a job and provide some income for not only themselves but for their families, et cetera, like that. 
what what kind of uh, skills and and job training kinds of things are you doing not only in East Africa but also here? The job training we do here is, is uh, we don't do as much of that here because we've got vocational schools, we've got colleges and high schools and things like that. So um, not that doesn't really happen as much in St. Louis because we've got other resources we can plug into that. In East Africa, though, we have things like sewing and hairdressing, computer skills, weaving is another one, and catering. Wow. And, and they're able to just continue to now flourish with a different set of skills. Mm-hmm. They've got something where they're, they've even formed organizations. You even went into a red-light district and bought an old brothel, and that has become a, wow. I think it's called Mercy Chapel, where now right. girls can come and really receive some assistance to get out of the trafficking industry. Yeah, honestly, guys, it's probably one of my favorite stories of all the 20-plus years we've been doing, or close to 20 years. The uh, church in Atlanta gave us money and uh, said, do whatever you can to help the girls in the Red Light District. And what we decided to do was start a vocational school because we couldn't house all the girls, and our vision is to get 15,000 girls rescued. So. We looked and looked and looked and couldn't find anything. The only thing we could find to buy was this brothel and bar that was in the middle of the red light district where we were working and rescuing girls from. And so we bought that thing and cleaned it up, and it's become a vocational training center, uh, church and counseling center. And we've had over 600 girls graduate now with a diploma in their chosen field of vocation, such as sewing or hairdressing. So it's been wildly successful, and it's just one of my favorite program because it's so it just shows what god does he takes what's absolutely horrible and broken and and trashed and thrown away and makes something beautiful out of it and girls over there desiring to stay in that trafficking kind of prostitution profession that they've been forced into and i want you to dispel some myths about that because i remember a story that you had in one of your newsletters that indicated you had gotten some girls in a car and somebody else wanted to go but there was no more room where you were going to take them, and you felt really bad for that particular individual who was trying to get out. Yeah. First of all, girls don't end up, and I know there's still a, uh, a lot of people in society think that if they're involved in prostitution, there's a degree of willingness. I've yet to meet a girl, and I've dealt, we've dealt with several thousand, and I've yet to meet a girl that said, hey, I dreamed of becoming a prostitute. And they get stuck, they get trapped in these lifestyles, and, and not even lifestyles, they're being enslaved to do things that are absolutely horrible. And so I've never met anyone who wants to stay in that lifestyle. Not when you sit down with them and you get behind the front and behind the bravado or whatever maybe. There's something inside that girl that she knows what she's doing is not right, and she doesn't want to be there. But what you were referring to, yes. Arnold, we were in uh, East Africa, and we just had three girls come out. We rescued them, and as we were walking them back to the car, five more girls come running up, and they had their little bags of their all their belongings, and they were begging us to take them. But at that point in time, we had eight homes going operating. We had over 80 girls in these homes, and we had girls sleeping on floors, and kids, their kids were sleeping on floors. We were so crammed, we just couldn't take them, and it was... It's probably one of the lowest days of my life to have to say, we can't take you now, but we'll come back and get you when we've got space. And we never did see those girls again. And frankly, that experience was what birthed Mercy Chapel, because 
it caused this. A long time ago, I heard Tony or Tony Robbins make this statement. He said, "We must learn to ask a better question." Mm-hmm. And so, when we told the, when we had to tell those girls no, the next better question is, "Okay, how do we make a way for the, these girls to get out, even though we don't have the resources, we don't have the funds, and nor do we have the space? But how can we still help more girls get out of this red light district?" And that's where Mercy Chapel was. The, the genesis of Mercy Chapel was from that episode. If people aren't being becoming a little emotional listening to this there's something wrong with their emotional iq at least that's that's my perspective on this and and briefly pat would you talk about your efforts now with local law enforcement and how yeah that you mentioned at the front end of the show about what you're doing in in working with them to keep girls out of the trafficking industry yeah we have we started about two years st louis county police department we started a pilot program uh, that I mentioned earlier that we called CAP. And the ultimate end is, and goal for this project is to actually catch the girls before they become victims. And Sergeant Adam Kavanaugh and some others, they sat down and started brainstorming, go, how do we stop this from happening? And so the birth of CAP came out of that. And so because of the proliferation of social media and these online games that have chat rooms and stuff, as they were doing their detective work and investigation and stuff, they started to see the correlation between the victims and how they're getting found now online, on Facebook, what the prints, what they, the bad guys, I can't think of where I was trying to find. Perpetrators? Are doing to get these girls. Yeah, predators. Predators. And so predators are doing to get these girls and get them in a position where they can't get out of it. And so we worked along them now for two years. I really can't go into how it's done because it's very confidential. We don't want that information out in the right. But the results are, and these are corroborated numbers. So when we discussed going in onto the prevention side, I said, this is what's got to be important is that we have to have numbers that show outcome. We have to have a paper trail. We have to have corroboration with law enforcement that these numbers are legitimate numbers or else we can't do it because integrity is everything the crisis aid. And just this, because to make statements, oh, we're preventing these, we've prevented this number of girls. Well, if we don't have documentation and if we don't have the audit trail and the outcomes and how we measure things so we can back up what we're saying with facts, then we can't say what we're doing this. And so over the last two years, this program has been developed, honed. It's always being fine-tuned. But so right now, we have offices in St. Louis County Police, St. Charles County. There's four more art, uh, law enforcement agencies in the city of St. Louis area and our region who, by the end of this month, actually it's now, <laughs> we're going to have uh, a total of six offices in law enforcement operations. Let me correct myself. Five law enforcement, one with Children's Hospital, where we're working very closely with them. Because once law enforcement hears about this program, they want to have something in their facility so mm-hmm. that they can work and help girls because they get these guys and they don't know what to do with them before they become victims and they don't have the time and wherewithal that it takes to work with the girls and they become mentors to the girls and their families. And so when we compare our services with theirs, it's something that really prevents hell on earth from happening for some girl and her family. Pat, you're doing great work and the staff at Crisis Aid. I greatly appreciate what you guys do. And folks, if you want more information, go to crisisaid.org. Pat Bradley, thanks for being on In Tune. It's good to talk to you again, sir. Thank you, Arnold. And thank you. It's an honor to be on your show. God bless you guys. Appreciate it. Take care, Pat. Thank you, Pat. Okay, bye-bye. 
I loved what he said, Mark. Doing nothing is no longer an option. Yeah, he's absolutely right. And this is emotional. Yeah. Wait till you hear this, folks. Mm. This is a story of a girl. Her name's Jennifer. Mm-hmm. And I want you to listen carefully to this. We're not trying to shock you. This is reality, not in some other distant land, not in some other distant country, state, but here in St. Louis. I want you to remember the number 43,200. This is the number of times I was raped during the four years I was trafficked. My trafficking situation started when I was only 12 years old and I was rescued at 16. Traffickers forced me to engage in sexual activities with up to 30 men a day for seven days a week. I was only a child and nothing more than that. I am 24 today and a survivor, but I will never forget what I went through as a child. And I want you to remember the number 43,200. Think human trafficking isn't happening in our community? Think again. Jennifer's story highlights the brutal realities of human trafficking in our community. Unfortunately, St. Louis is one of the top 20 jurisdictions for human trafficking, often named as the second or third fastest growing criminal activity in the world, including the United States. Human traffickers will do anything to exploit their targets, and they'll use lies, threats, and even force to trap their victims. In 2019, 30% of trafficking victims in Missouri were children around the same age of Jennifer, only 12 years old. All victims, regardless of their age, gender, faith, or political affiliation, share some essential traits. The loss of their freedom, childhood, and feeling lost and disconnected from the community. Think someone may be being trafficked? Learn the warning signs and help us put an end to human trafficking. What we're trying to do, folks, is raise awareness. This is International Awareness of Trafficking Day. And it's just a day that's set aside to understand and be aware that this issue is going on in our culture and in our society. Not We're not talking about East Africa, as Pat was. We're talking about St. Louis, Missouri. We're talking about the, the state of Missouri. We're talking about the United States of America. So if we think we're above that for some reason, let's think again. And the fact they just said we're in the top 20. Yes. Who would think that St. Louis, Missouri, right here in the middle, the Midwest, such a wholesome area is in the top 20 of human trafficking. It's terrible. And 40, I'm not going to forget 43,200. I heard that. I was like, My are hum- you kidding me? Unbelievable. She started when she was 12 years old. 30 men a day they were making her. That's day. unbelievable. Yeah, that's just. Uh, it's disgusting. It is disgusting. It's sad. It's, it's a sad state of affairs on our culture. It is. I'm very happy to hear that Pat is getting into some of these police departments. Mm-hmm. I think that's tremendous because I don't think the police are equipped or trained, not that they don't want to help, but you can see the police are embracing his programs right. and wanting them to be in in there. So when they do come across this, they have they have somewhere that they can turn and say, here, can you help this lady? We found her on the It's really important you have individuals who have either run away or they've been abducted, mm-hmm. and you hear that all the time. We're going to talk quite a bit right. more about that. And people don't know what to do. And we're just not talking about sex trafficking. We're, we're also talking about this forced labor mm-hmm. kind of trafficking, which is a really um, a real hidden 
No, I don't think people think of that. No. That aspect They'll of see it. people doing different jobs, and they think, oh, they got a job, that's great. But yeah. there's a whole other side to those yeah, kinds of right. things. Wow. So this is something that occurred in Crestwood, Missouri. Oh. Very close to where we are. And this was the assistance of the Crestwood Police Department, the Missouri Attorney General's Office, is trying to shut down a Crestwood massage parlor for alleged sex trafficking. And this is back in June of of this year. This is just like a little more than a month ago. And you may remember this. The Attorney General filed a suit against, I'm just going to say it, the Royal Day Spa, 8928 Watson Road, because it is an, quote, illicit massage business, unquote. And there were traffic stops. Three men reported about their experiences there to law enforcement. They paid money and tips for sexual favors. The lawsuit gets quite a bit more graphic. There's also a pursuit of cases against five parlors. And Royal Day Spa is the first in St. Louis County. And the Crestwood Police apparently have been working on this for years. It just takes time to get all these things going. If you think that law enforcement doesn't have enough on their plate, and then we talk about this. And we talk about there's all kinds of things socially that we're talking about with law enforcement. However, there's crime, but there's this particular crime. Apparently, these multi-jurisdictional drug task force and sex trafficking and human trafficking task force have been working on that. Uh, so that's just one thing. I w- yeah, I'm just wishful thinking on my part, maybe being uh, criticized. I don't mean to criticize, but when it takes years to bring these people to justice, it, that just breaks my heart. Because mm-hmm. this lady was talking the 43,200 sexual abuses. She's 30 men a day. So every day that you're doing your investigation, trying to get enough evidence or whatever it is to stop it, it just breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Of course, I'm not in their shoes. I'm not in the police's shoes. But there should be an easier route to prosecution of this stuff. Than, than there is now. For them to have to take a year, six months to, to run an investigation to get enough things involved, just to me is just sad. I, I think that also speaks, Mark, that's, that's a great point. It speaks to the legislative portion of this and the ju- judicial portion of this, that what kind of laws have we done in Missouri? There were several past, like I think 2008, 2010, 2012, 2014. I haven't really seen a lot since then because there was the law, I remember we talked about this, about raising the mandatory, not the mandatory, but the minimum age to get married in the state of Missouri. You find these child brides where somebody will go to Tennessee or some other state where they can marry someone who's 14 or 15 without parental consent. It's like, what is going on? I remember we talked about that on the show and spoke to the sponsor of that bill. But what is the legislature doing as it relates to these things to give law enforcement and the judicial side Mm -hmm. a little bit more teeth and strength? Right. To exercise the law. Yeah, and expedite it, for crying out loud. We're going to come back to this after the break. We're going to talk more about this. We're not trying to shock you, but I'm trying to shock you. Yeah. Because we don't talk about, we haven't heard about this a lot. No. And we're not just setting aside this day, because two weeks ago we talked about human trafficking. And I mentioned we're going to do more uh, stories on this. Mm -hmm. And again, if you want to get more on uh, Pat Bradley's organization, Crisis Aid International, you can go to crisisaid.org. They have a variety of resources that they offer there, and you can uh, check out exactly how they're uh, implementing some of those things, not only here in the local St. Louis area, but also internationally. 
we have some more audio to play. They are basically public service announcements to make you aware. These are things that different groups do, and we've grabbed some of those to educate you. And I really see that as our job. Pat's group, they're really involved. There are other groups that are educate, and we're the broadcast group. We're right. letting people know that these right. things are out there, that they both are happening, okay? Doing our part to get the word out. We are doing our part to get the word out. We just got done with an interview with Pat Bradley from Crisis Aid International, and you want more information, crisisaid.org. He's a very positive person. You said, how are you today? He said, best day of my life. And I think every day for him is probably the best day of his life. So he's always trying to get up and take that best step and make it better than it was yesterday. Yeah, he has a very interesting personal story, and you can might be able to find that on the web somewhere, but he has a very interesting personal story, which motivates him and and gets him going. Well, thank God for people like Pat. I mean that. I mean that. We should pray for Pat. Yeah, that would be a big thing. That would be a big thing. So Katie was on the honor roll at her local high school. Many of her peers liked her, but Katie lacked something, a father. He didn't come home often, but when he, he did so in a drunken rage, she simply wanted a man to love her and make her feel special to fill the void that she felt inside. At age 19, she met Derek. They met on Facebook, and Katie immediately fell in love with him. It didn't take long for Derek to realize how vulnerable Katie was, and when they did meet, it was in an empty parking lot. He threatened her into running away from home and forced her to have sex with his friends to pay off his debts, although it may seem too bizarre to be local. Katie was from St. Louis. In St. Louis, there are multiple refuge houses and programs for sex trafficking victims like Katie. And the first time, this is a a quote, the first time I went to a refuge house, I didn't know what to expect, but I saw a 14-year-old girl and a 16-year-old girl. If I had brought my daughters with me and sat them on a couch with the girls from the refuge, I wouldn't have been able to tell who was being trafficked. It was eye-opening for me. Most people don't realize that many middle-class families experiencing experienced trafficking as well as overseas victims. And that's something that I think this hour I want to impart is that we all think in the United States, this is a generalization, Mm -hmm. that many of these problems, they don't occur in our good old town neighborhood. Mm -hmm. They don't occur in our state. They don't occur in our country. That's something in a third world country. That's something where there's just no kind of civilization at all. You haven't been around crime enough to realize that this is big business, and people don't like their big business shut down. No. And if somebody gets brought out of their industry, they're going to try to find two more to put back in the industry because it's a profit scheme for them. And according to this particular article I'm reading, St. Louis, because of its trafficking prevalence— is a location which creates an area that's convenient for traffickers to meet. And it's a primary reason why sex trafficking is so prominent. The way our interstates run, St. Louis is a central hub for traffickers to meet from coast to coast. I bet. I bet. Highway 70, Highway 44, major highways that intersect right here and in the Midwest. And that's true. So, we're yeah, we're close to... Each coast, we're right in the middle, it seems like. We're pretty close to the center anyway. So this is an awareness, and how do you identify individuals who are in trafficking and things like that? We will talk briefly about that in a a few minutes. But doing nothing, folks, as Pat Bradley was saying, doing nothing is no longer an option. And I want to give the 
hotline. So if you know someone who is being trafficked, whether it's uh, sexual or it's job, it's forced labor kinds of things, write this down, 888-373-7888. That's 888-373-7888. Or you can text HELP to this number, 233-733. Text HELP to the words BE free. Text HELP to be free. Those are some numbers, and we'll read those again later on. So we did talk about some labor trafficking. So this next PSA announcement we're going to do talks about both sex trafficking and labor trafficking. I grew up in an impoverished country, and my parents struggled to make enough money to send me to school. So when someone offered to take me to the United States for an education, they were happy to send me overseas. But when I arrived, there was no education. Over the next six years, I was imprisoned and abused, both physically and sexually. I was forced to cook and clean for my hosts and their children, and I was forced into prostitution too. I wasn't allowed to contact my family. I wasn't allowed to go to school, and I wasn't even allowed to leave the house. Think human trafficking isn't happening in our community? Think again. St. Louis is one of the top 20 jurisdictions for sex trafficking crimes, and we're up for labor trafficking as well. Human traffickers will do anything to exploit their targets, and they'll use lies, threats, and even force to trap their victims. 80% of trafficking targets are trapped in forced labor, 25% of them are children, and 75% of them are women. But all of them share one essential trait, the loss of their freedom. Think someone may be trafficked? Learn the warning signs that help us put an end to human trafficking. So who are the traffickers? And they could be anybody. They could be a family member. Really? They don't have to be a stranger. They could be a family member. So people who are vulnerable to trafficking, unstable living situation, previous experience with some form of violence or sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. uh, runaways involved in the juvenile system, the child welfare system, also those kids who are in foster care, undocumented immigrants, those who are in poverty or in economic need, they have a caregiver or a family member who has a substance abuse issue, or they are addicted to drugs or alcohol. So that doesn't mean that when you look at people who are, have those things that they're being trafficked, but they're vulnerable to individuals who will take advantage of their situation and pull them into trafficking. And then how do they lure people in? Stories tales of romantic love, good jobs, fair wages just over the horizon, although the horizon never happens. And the stories should raise red flags themselves. Social media is used. Craigslist is used. The dark side of the web is used. They may raise some red flags during recruitment. So if if things sound too good to be true, they're too good to be true. They are. They usually are. So here are some things that should raise maybe some concerns. If you're out and about, a would-be employer refuses to give workers a signed contract or ask them to sign a contract in a language they can't read. Big deal for immigrants in our community. Would-be employer collects fees from a potential worker for the quote-unquote opportunity to work in a particular field. A friend, family member, co-worker, or student is newly showered with gifts or money or otherwise becomes involved in an overwhelming, fast-moving, and asymmetric romantic relationship. Friend or family member or student is a frequent runaway and may be staying with someone who is not their parent or guardian. 
a family member, friend, or coworker, or students developing a relationship that seems too close with someone they know solely on social media. That's a big one, folks. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Yep. I remember Channel 4 at 1030 at night. Do you know where your children are? Right. They used to do that all the time. Yep. Family member, friend, or student lives with a parent or guardian and shows signs of abuse. Family member, friend, or coworker is offered a job opportunity that seems too good to be true, and a family member, friend, or coworker is recruited for an opportunity that requires them to move far away, but their recruiter or prospective employer avoids answering their questions or is reluctant to provide detailed information about the job. Mm. I read a story about a girl who developed a relationship. This is in St. Louis. And he said, oh, wow, you could be a model. And started to groom her and encourage her and say, I've got a modeling agency that we're going to do a shoot out in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. Let's go to Hawaii. And got her a ticket and said, I'll meet you out there. And she got off the plane, was met by this limousine, Mm. and was, hey, this is the modeling agency. She got in the vehicle. It was like, yeah, this is the modeling agency. The guy never showed up. He was just the go-between. She ended up being forced into prostitution and sex slavery. I would call it sex trafficking. And finally was able to get out of that Mm -hmm. and come back to the St. Louis area, but not after a lot of heartache and grief and physical and sexual abuse it's just so sad you're breaking my heart here just so sad it really is and yeah the sexual th- abuse is one thing but like you say there's so much going on and you think a cartel would be at the bottom of this but that's maybe they are but that's not the case it is neighbors and people that you may know that already have problems of their own abuses of a substance or what have you they mm-hmm. just they take you with them when they go down that terrible road and the one that we really don't talk a lot about is this labor trafficking and we're going to play a psa on labor trafficking right now that gives a little bit of identification and then i'm going to read some things again so you can be a little more in tune about what's going on I am a labor trafficking survivor. I came as a religious visa. So I was there for the leader. I was not given a salary. I was told to take care of their grandchildren. I was with them 24 hours. So I was sleeping in the same room with the children. I got out from this situation in 2003, and then I was scared to be undocumented. When I came to Tamayan, they treated you as a warm family. Damayan is an organization of Filipino migrant workers. The people that we serve work as nannies, elderly caregivers, house cleaners, personal assistants, and, and other work in private households. We're really looking to reach workers who maybe have experienced trafficking or who are in the best position to meet trafficked workers. 
Labor trafficking is when one person holds or obtains another person in coerced or forced labor. It's the individual employer or trafficker who's forcing, coercing, manipulating a worker. So the indicators that we see are usually of threats, passport and other identification theft. It's usually restricted movement, restricted communication. For a case of trafficking, what we're usually going to be looking for are signs that the workers don't have a freedom to move about. They aren't getting paid for the work that they're performing. Maybe they don't have identifying documents. They're being made to live in substandard living conditions. They may be skilled or unskilled laborers, young or old, male or female. I never heard them complain. You know, it didn't cross my mind that they were being abused. When you'd ask the boys, how's it going, then none of them ever said, this happened to me or this happened to me or whatever. We had a case, and it involved the uh, parent exploitation of American workers, and they were adults with intellectual disabilities. They were transported from Texas to a turkey processing plant in Iowa. For approximately 35 years, these adults were working for a company for at least 40 hours per week, but only being paid $65 a month. They were hidden away from much of the world. These men were punished in cruel ways. And so after 35 or 40 years of blood, sweat, and tears, when these men were finally rescued, they had nothing to show for it. What we find in a case like that, even involving people with intellectual disabilities, is that the things that make them vulnerable are the very same things that you might see in a case involving foreign workers. When I heard that, I was like, that's heinous. Oh, yeah. To move intellectually disabled individuals from one state to another and force them for thir 35 years to work and have nothing to show for it at the end. It's so terrible. It's disgusting. It's just so terrible. So labor trafficking, I think people might think, okay, domestics, like they were mentioning, mm -hmm. these are where people are generally my reading on this are undocumented domestic workers. They're designed to take care of kids. They're taking their cooking, they're cleaning. They don't leave. Mm -hmm. They're not even paid right. and they're forced there. And the threat of keeping them there is we know where your family lives and we will kill your family. Right. And it may not be the family where the worker is staying who's saying those things. It's right. what I'm going to call the trafficker who's communicating, or, or they hold their passports, like they said, or they hold their card coming in. So this is men, women, and children. This could also be out in fields. Mm -hmm. This could be in grass cutting. This could be in roofing. This could be a lot where you'll see a lot of Hispanic workers working, and even keeping them isolated physically and emotionally, controlling them that way, pressuring, getting pressure from their employer to stay there. Like, we know where your family is, or you want to bring your family back. Well, you got to keep working to do that. They owe money to a recruiter right. who brought them there, who promised them, oh, this is going to be a good-paying job or you'll get a wonderful education. They don't have any control of their passport or identity documents. If you walk out in the middle of the world and you don't have anything to identify who you are, what are you going to do? They're living in less than 
living conditions. Mm-hmm. Many times there's many people in a particular room. Mm-hmm. They're monitored by somebody else who's watching all of their movements. They're threatened for de- with deportation. Mm-hmm. The conditions are dangerous, overcrowded, inhumane. So this goes on and on. So, folks, just be aware of, of these kinds of things. This is this part of this day. It's International Trafficking Awareness Day, and we want you to be aware. Yeah. Because I don't know how some of these folks uh, that are in these situations, how do you break out of that situation? If you're from another country, you can barely speak the language. You've had all these threats. You, maybe you're not intellectually savvy. Maybe you have disabilities or what have you. Just to break away, go, okay, I've had enough. I'm going to go to the police department. We have our fire departments where those are safe houses for right. a lot. Of, and a lot of kids know that. But those are, I don't know. It just For people that know that they can break away, I just I think even getting to that point with some of these people that have been put into slavery, I'll say, I think just getting them to be able to stand up for themselves and try to break away is very difficult. And it's even harder, I think, for us as good society to find these culprits and go after them and get them and break those cycles as well and save those people and help them. It's a, what a challenge it is. What a challenge. It it is a challenge. And I think that those individuals who are native to our country, Mm -hmm. who were born here may have a little bit easier time. I'm just kind of supposing breaking out, uh, breaking out because they know that there is there are other things out there, right. and someone who comes in who doesn't really know the language, mm-hmm. doesn't know how things operate within our culture, might have a, a little more difficulty. That's I was hats off to the group that was speaking to those individuals who may see individuals who are being trafficked because of what they do in a domestic kind of situation, mm-hmm. in uh, factory kinds of situations, etc., like that. How hard would it be to f- trust anyone, though? I want to break out and I want to go, but how do you trust anyone? I want to go and maybe just run to the neighbor's house and have them help me. But how do you trust them? I guess I would ask the question to people who are listening. If someone came to you and said, I'm, I'm being trafficked or I'm being sold for sex or domestic work and I want to get out, what are you going to do? Oh, my. What are you going to do? Are you going to go, well, it's not my problem? Oh, there's people that would. There are people that This will would. upset my life and my family's life, or I don't right. want to get involved because I, yeah. I see that guy down there. Mm-hmm. He, he looks pretty shady. He may have a yeah. weapon or something. Right. I don't want to get involved right. with that. If Let, I, I help you and he gets out, he's going to come after me and my family. Right. right. You know, because I disrupted his balance of power. Yeah. What are you going to do? Do you have the courage to help someone in that position? That's a good yeah. statement. Yeah. So... I don't know. I would call the police, but boy, the repercussions could be. You got to be ready. You got to have courage. But doing nothing is not good. No. I, I think <laughs> about situations like that, and if I if this was me, which side are you on? Yeah. If I'm asking the question, what would I want people to do for me? That's how I need to respond to people who are asking me the question. That's a good. That's a good mindset. I think. That's so if I want people to listen to me and help me. That's what I need to do because right. who knows that maybe your kids or your grandkids or a sister or brother is involved in something like that right. Right. as a victim. 888-373-7888 is the hotline for trafficking or text HELP to the words BE FREE, 233-733. Human trafficking is slavery. And it happens all over America. 
any child, any woman, any man could potentially become a victim of human trafficking. I am a victim of labor trafficking. I was a victim of child sex trafficking, but now I own my body. Human trafficking is any kind of forced labor. It can happen to anybody. I am a mother. I am an author. I am a son. I'm an advocate. I am an educator. I'm a sister. I am a brother. I'm so much more than what happened to me. I am strong. I am brave. I am outspoken. I am compassionate. I am a survivor. I'm a survivor. I am a survivor. I am a survivor. I am a survivor. I am a survivor of human trafficking. We appreciate you listening to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. If you enjoy this episode, please consider letting us know. The best way to do this is by rating us on Apple Podcast. You could even write a review. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.